You are listening to Get Real Podcast. Zana, welcome to the Get Real Podcast in this, our home, the Fishbowl. And thank you for joining us for one of our favorite months of the year. That is the month of Rocktober. Zana, it is an absolute privilege to have you on with us today. Thank you so much, Glenn. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, and we want to advise our listeners before we get into this not to stop listening or stop watching on YouTube, which we are now on our YouTube channel on Lithos Cry, because we have a very important announcement to make at the end of this program. So if you touch that computer or if you touch the stop button on your podcast player, your finger probably will fall off. But Zana, let's go ahead and get into the interview and talk about you. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been fascinated with people's names. What is the significance of the name Zana? Where did it come from? Yeah, so actually, Zana is actually like my name uh, in Spanish. Uh, my full name in Spanish is Susana. And, uh, you know, people, you know, that speak English call me Susie. Um, but Susie was very uh, not um, very findable, you know, as an artist name. There's a lot of people named Susie. So I kind of had to get creative and figure out how to, you know, put myself out there uh, in my artist name more artistically. So I kind of took my Spanish name and I kind of put this English twist on it that was really unique that I couldn't find any other artist name after that. So I chose Zana as my solo artist name, which really is just my name as well. <laughs> That's really cool. And you've lived in a lot of different places. Can you give us the whirlwind tour of where you've traveled? Oh, I've traveled probably to I think like every state in, in the U.S., um, you know, I, I used to, I was born in Mexico, um, and, but I, I lived in Mexico very briefly. Uh, I did spend my childhood up north in Ohio, uh, but I've been in Texas for a very long time. I love Texas, uh, San Antonio specifically, um, but I've toured pretty much in, I think, almost every state. Uh, or at least I've been through every state or stopped in every state. Um, and then I've had the pleasure of uh, going to Italy and Germany as well and South Korea. So with all the places that you've lived and that you've visited, getting to know different people, getting to learn how to relate to them, has that helped you in relating to other people through your music? Oh, absolutely. I mean, people are totally, uh, some people are totally unaware of how di diverse the United States is. I mean, if you haven't figured it out by now with the elections and politicians, I don't know where you've been living or under a rock or something. Um, but it, it absolutely has. I mean, you know, growing up in Ohio, when my parents decided to move to Texas, it broke my heart as a kid because I just, I loved it up there so much. Um, and I loved the snow and, and all my friends were there. Um, but it was a really good thing that I did choose to move because it really does uh, widen your perspective of the world, um, especially being Hispanic and Mexican, you know, um, you really take, you, you know, I feel like sometimes I take for granted all the things that I have here in the United States. And, you know, um, I'm super proud to be Mexican. Uh, but, you know, there are definitely things that uh, the U.S. hasn't, Mexico doesn't. So it really does uh, make you very appreciative of, you know, uh, just more well-rounded as a person. It helps you learn what else is out there and really kind of uh, get a better understanding of, of how people live, uh, 
where uh, you're not living, you know, how culture affects so many things. Um, so I, I love it. I, I'm really glad that we did move and, and I've had the experience of being a touring artist where I can visit different parts of the US and the world and understand how people live. Absolutely. When did you first discover that you were going to be a singer? You know what? Um, I was playing with my friends in the sixth grade and we were having a sleepover and we were pretending that we would lip sync to um, songs <laughs> and at the sleepover and we were pretending to be rock, rock band, like a rock band. And um, I was always lip singing as the singer, you know, we were just playing, but there was something so fun and so cool about that. And all my friends were like, you're really good at looking like a rocker. And I'm like, thanks. And, you know, as time went on, I really, really was absorbed into music, especially rock. And um, it's just the funniest thing because every my first performance with my band in high school, um, there was just something that came alive in me. I felt like this animal that had been unleashed and like so much adrenaline was rushing and you know it just went by so fast and by the end of it I was like whoa I really feel alive doing this I want to do this again um so there's just been little hints in my life you know here and there just like writing music or writing songs that uh, actually, when I was little, I was like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. But here I am, like, doing some other childhood dream of being a rock artist and touring and playing shows. And, you know, it's, it's really bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> How would you best describe your music and your sound? Uh, my music and my sound, um, it's actually pretty... It's funny, you know, because people here will, will hear like one song and be like, oh, you know, she's she's a hard rock metal artist. But if you actually listen to my album, my most recent one is called Red for War. Um, I have another one coming out hopefully next year. But um, yeah, it, there's actually quite a good diverse sound on there that's still cohesive. Um, I really pride myself in writing songs that are unique, that have like a very unique spirit, uh, spirit you know, musically or lyrically or melodically. Um, overall, the overall tone obviously is rock, um, but it can be heavy rock, almost metal. And then I also write ballads and cinematic ballads. Um, so yeah, all of them are, I, I guess, would fall under the umbrella of rock or hard rock, but there is kind of something for everybody on my record. So I'm very proud of that. How was it that you found your niche with the harder, heavier music and music that kind of sometimes kind of fringes a little bit on the darker side? How did you find that niche? Um, I think growing up, you know, as a teen, I there was just something so magnetic to me about heavy music. And uh, surprisingly, in the eighth grade, I learned how to scream. And we would walk home from school every day and me and my best friend would just play these heavy songs and we would practice our screaming and practice our singing. And then somehow I just got really good at it. And uh, the more rock music I ingested, the more my writing rock music would come out and I would write more like it because it was all I was consuming. Um, and so I just got really passionate about rock. And um, surprisingly, there is a huge niche of uh, believers that love hard rock and hard music and uh, I just fit right in there I don't know how it happened <laughs> God led you to the right place one footstep at a time for sure <laughs> well your lyrics they're very genuine they're real they really reflect I believe who you are what you feel emotionally 
what you've experienced. And when you sing, you're very vulnerable. You make yourself very vulnerable to your audience and to your listeners. What gives you the drive to be that vulnerable? Because for some people, they just bottle it all up. A lot of people do that. But you go out there on stage and you put it on an album. What gives you the drive to do that? I mean, music has been such a lifeline for me. Um, I really think that that is the point of music is to figure out life and to write about it and to meditate on the feelings you're going through. Um, So music has always just been the outlet that I have been able to kind of figure out what my soul is going through and what my soul is needing. Um, there's an exercise I do when I'm writing lyrics. If I get stuck, I just do what's called stream of consciousness and I just start typing and typing and typing. It doesn't make sense, but something's coming out of me that I need to figure out mentally, you know, subconsciously I'm feeling a way that my brain is trying to understand about itself. Um, so for me music has always, that's always been the purpose of it. And I just really think that people need authenticity and um, they need help in kind of figuring out their own feelings. And that's why people resonate with certain songs so much because they're like, yes, that's exactly how I feel, you know? And my, my job is to create that relationship with my listener. Um, and what better way to do that with healing my soul at the same time, you know? Um, and another reason is just, I always told God that if he, if he ever gave me success in this, in this industry, that I would always use that to um, bring other people to him or always just put my life on display to show his goodness and his faithfulness in my life. Um, so that's kind of the deal I struck with him. I was like, listen, if you, if you choose to, to work in me, I promise that no matter what you do in my life, I will always speak about what you have done in my life and let you use me to be an example of your goodness and your faithfulness if someone chooses to trust in you. Um, so that is what he's done so far. And I'm, I'm just so happy that it's been able to help people. How have you seen God use your music in different people's lives? Um, yeah, I think that obviously, you know, I've been through stuff in my life, which is, which is fine. I mean, I think everything goes back to, like I was saying, God's plan and God's story and him using trials and problems in my life as a testimony to others that he can do the same for them. Um, but I've definitely received a lot of messages from fans that was just like, yes, this song exactly talks about how exactly I feel. Um, thank you so much. Or, you know, they just talk about how the music moved them. Um, and I know that so many times in my life, you know, when I was growing up, um, needing just, again, healing of my soul, there have been so many songs that have impacted me that helped me figure out stuff when I was all alone, um, that helped my soul heal or my spirit heal. So I think that that's what my music does for people. And I'm, um, again, that requires authenticity. That requires being absolutely transparent even though it may be hard to talk about. But, you know, I, I just know that whatever happens, God is always going to bring it full circle and use it for good. Um, so I'm not afraid to go through things and talk about them, even if I haven't figured it out yet. Um, because people are watching and they need that witness. They need that testimony that, you know, it all comes back full circle and God can use your pain for good. Here's the good news, Zana. None of us have it all figured out yet. Right. <laughs> you really don't. Definitely see that. Yeah, Dan and I, we talk about that quite often on this podcast. There's certain things theologically. I mean, we, you know, 
salvation by grace through faith alone in, in the shed blood of Christ, that that has never changed. But there's different things that we've thought over the years that have changed as we've grown and, you know, our temperaments have changed and we're still trying to figure this all out. And I don't think we'll have it all figured out until we see him in glory. So. Absolutely. So speaking of, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I don't think we're supposed to have it figured out. I really do. Because if, if we did, then we wouldn't need to live by grace every day. You know, we wouldn't need to seek God because we're like, hey, we already figured it out. We already know, you know, and I don't think things are supposed to be that clear. And people can complain and say, oh, why is life so difficult? Why did God make this life so difficult? He's evil or he's a tyrant, you know, and that's just like, sure, you can have a perfect life. Let's say he did make everything so easy you know, what would that help you be, you know, a good person, you know, like, how would that help you grow? Um, because people, as we know, that have everything handed to them, become spoiled and entitled, you know, and it's like, if you were a parent, you wouldn't want your child to become spoiled and entitled. So, you know, God, you know, us being a children of God, why, why should we have it any easier than the world? Because if we did, we'd be spoiled and entitled. Um, so people don't see God as that father figure. They don't see him. They just see him as this tyrant. And I'm like, why, you know, um, why do you want everything to be so easy? Maybe it's not supposed to be. So yeah, that's my thoughts on that. <laughs> I have to agree with you. I was just reading this week, a preacher from, I believe it was the 1700s. And he wrote something that was very profound and very wise. He wrote that probably one of the greatest curses in life is to have everything easy and everything that your heart desires and just to do whatever you want to do. That is the greatest curse because really what I believe that indicates and what he was getting at is that this is it. This is your life. This is all you're going to get. And those of us who are living by faith and living by grace, we have to put constant trust in the Lord. And you're right. We don't see everything because he's omniscient and we're not. Uh, he reminded me of that several months ago when I was seeking him on, on certain things, I was like, God, I don't see the full picture here. He's like, exactly. You don't because you're not omniscient. A lot of people have this misconception that having discernment or being able to, you know, foresee some things prophetically that they're all knowing, but it's only little bits and pieces. It's a mystery. And if we knew everything, we wouldn't need him. And no, we are not God. There's only one God. That's it. And, you know, God being the ultimate teacher, you know, I've, I've learned a lot since, you know, becoming a vocal coach and, and, and pushing the best out of my students. You know, a lot of times, you know, they are afraid to sing in front of me or whatever because they know they're, it's not perfect. But, you know, I'm not making them sing for them to be perfect. I'm actually listening for specific things. And I want them to mess up because that's how I'm going to teach them through their mistake, you know? So if God were to show us the whole picture and be like, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to be. We get so caught up in the end result that we wouldn't see the, the next step in front of us and how to get there because we'd be so overwhelmed with the larger picture. You know, it's like one step at a time. God can't show you the full picture yet because he's trying to teach you something to even get there. And if you see it, you won't get the lesson. You know what I'm saying? I, I get it. And you sound like a woman who has been through trials. And we know that you have because in 2019, just last year, you had a kidney transplant. And that is not anything easy to go through. Can you share with our listeners a little bit how that has changed your perspective about life in general, eternity, and, and even how God works? Oh my God, I can't even begin to tell you how it changed my perspective on life so much. 
Um, you know, I think 2019, I, I didn't do too much musically, obviously, because I was, I was trying to heal. But that, that year, even just today, I was thinking, you know, that year did so much for me um, in the sense of internally and growing my, my heart and my soul and my spirit um, that it was absolutely necessary. Um, but yeah, I mean, from, be- from the beginning of even like, it, it's, it's so, it's so overwhelming, the, the whole story. So let me just start at the beginning. Okay? Go for it. Um, first of all, you need to know that I have had the largest phobia of hospitals and needles since I was a child. I used to pass out and faint every time I got a shot. Um, I passed out in the mall when I got my ears pierced. I, my mom would have to hold, be ready for me to fall because every time I'd get a shot, I would black out and everyone, I'd wake up to everybody trying to revive me, you know? Um, so to begin with having this horrible phobia of needles and, and, and just everything that hospitals and doctors do, the smell of alcohol made me very nervous and queasy. Um, so you can imagine, you know, how horrible and how hard it was to hear that I was going to have to have a transplant one day. But backing up before that point, um, the only reason I actually discovered that I had a disease since I hadn't been to the doctor in literally 10 years because I was so afraid of everything they did there. I was like, nope, not going to go get a checkup. Don't want to, don't care. 10 years, Glenn, I had not had a physical or a checkup. And um, so the only reason I actually finally got one after 10 years was um, at the time I was touring with my old band, Ilya. And um, unfortunately, at the time, some, uh, a guy I was dating, his, his mother passed away very, uh, very suddenly and very unexpectedly um, as a result of a blood infection that went septic. Um, and I just remember, you know, him texting me and just saying that he was, his mom was feeling bad. Um, and I had just seen her. The, the night before. And, and um, very unfortunately, uh, the next day, they had taken her to the hospital and she declined extremely fast. And she unfortunately passed away in about 24 hours. Um, and not only that event, but about several months later, I got word that uh, a friend from school um, had actually passed away very suddenly due to a medication she had taken where she um, got a blood clot in her lung and passed away immediately. Um, and that one was really hard to hear about because she was very, uh, she was a month away from her wedding and a couple days away from her birthday. And at that age, you know, I was dating my now husband. Um, and that really shook me to the core because I was like, she was about to get married. And here I am dating the guy that I think is going to be the one, you know, it, it just shook me so much. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to get checked. I just need to be sure. Um, you know, because the I just witnessed these two deaths, and 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 they really have have upset my spirit. I, I need to go make sure I'm okay because it has been ten years since I've gotten checked for anything. Um, so I went to the doctor. My sister is actually my doctor, so uh, I went to her clinic and finally got the test done. And um, I was expecting everything to be okay, and she told me that one of my blood levels was really weird, and so I had to go redo the blood test. And the second time, it was still there. Um, and so I was, uh, it had to do with the, um, the kidney, uh, toxicity and, and, and my blood and, and kidneys. So I had to go to a specialist and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, for about six months I was waiting. I did a biopsy, which was on my birthday, my uh, 24th birthday. And oh, it was wow. literal. 
it was just a nightmare. Um, I was still coming. I was, I, I was still struggling so bad with my phobia. And I remember being in the hospital alone by myself that night with this IV in my arm. And I'm literally having a 24 hour panic attack because I just, I can't do this. Um, and so that was really hard. Um, and then they, they still couldn't figure it out. So they actually had to send me to a geneticist and those genetic results came back in about six months and confirmed that I had a very rare, uh, genetic, um, disease that uh, weirdly enough, none of my family had because they all got tested. Um, I was the first one that started the genetic lineage. So there was some kind of misprint in my DNA that caused my kidneys to be unable to produce a certain protein that breaks down toxins. And the reason you don't see it when you're born is because um, it takes about 20 years for the kidneys to be so overwhelmed with toxins that they begin to scar and de develop cysts. So really with my, my genetic disease, people don't really know they have it until they're, they hit about their early 20s because at that point, their kidneys are already very damaged. Um, so that was um, incredibly hard to hear. And I remember the day I got called about it and with the results, it was just overwhelming anxiety. I was like, you know, what does this mean? Um, so I was, you know, sent to my nephrologist and he was like, your kidneys are already like less than half um, functionality right now. Um, so you're probably going to have to either start dialysis or have a kidney transplant within the next five years. And um, that was crazy to hear. Um, you know, here you here I am living my my whole life thinking I'm fine. Like nobody, nobody grows up or expects to have a transplant in their life. I mean, already that word is just everyone's like, whoa, transplant. That's always whoa. that's always for the other person, not you. Exactly. You know, yeah. And it, it's just a scary word. It's a scary thing. Um, and so I remember getting the news and, and unfortunately we thought it would be within five years. It actually ended up being two years uh, that I was going to need one. Um, thankfully, those two years, we had time to prepare um, and thankfully find a, a, a kidney donor, which was my beautiful mother, um, Rosa, and I love her. So shout out to my mom. Wow. Um, but that was absolutely uh, just the, the whole process to get from like these people in your life you witnessed passed away. And now you had a genetic condition all along and you didn't know. And now you're being told you need a life saving operation. It's just from one point to then you're just like, what? Like, how did, how did I even get here? You know? Um, and so you can imagine all kinds of fear in me um, because with, with transplants, a lot of people don't know that there's a lot of side effects that yes, it saves your life, but there's also things you have to give in return. Um, you know, so it really is just kind of like a give and take. Um, absolutely, it's still worth it. If anybody is listening that is, you know, having to co uh, contemplate the option of a transplant, definitely still worth it. I mean, take it because it's way better than dialysis. Uh, dialysis is basically just keeping you alive short term, like it's not good for you. Um, but, you know, with transplants, there's always a risk of infection or rejection um, you are purposefully medicating your body to lower your immune system so your body doesn't reject the organ. Um, so therefore, you're prone to all other kinds of diseases. You're more prone to cancer. Um, <clears throat> you're more prone to just a, a whole nother set of issues, right? And so um, me hearing about this, you know, it's like, hey, transplant's great, but it's not the ultimate solution. There really is no ultimate solution. Um, you know, knowing that I was going to be 
prone to other things um, that really scared me because again, my mind flashed back to um, that, that guy's mother who passed away from a random infection that killed her in 24 hours, you know? And I'm like, that's going to be me. That's going to be me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it. Like there's something's going to happen, you know, and I'm basically on borrowed time at this point. So anything goes. Um, and so when I was told, you know, Hey, well, if you don't have a transplant, then you're going to have to do dialysis three times a week for three hours each time. And you'll never be able to travel again. You have to stay local so you can go to your dialysis thing or you will die. Um, so that meant no touring, no, um, you know, no traveling even, or if you did, you would have to have a dialysis center lined up so you could go there in your vacation. Um, so it's just like so many things that I had to consider um, you know, and you're presented with these options and they're not really perfect, none of them. And you have this thing that it's like, if I wasn't living in this century or in this day and age, I would die. If this procedure wasn't available, I would die a very painful, horrible death. And, you know, you kind of just really sober up about life and you're like, okay, what have I been doing my whole life? Am I happy? Have I been wasting time being worried about things that are unimportant or, you know, have I really been living my life to the fullest? Um, and so a lot of things, you know, and, and then you have to think about like, God, why, why are you letting me go through this? Why is this happening to me? Like, I believe in you. I love you. Why are you allowing me to go through this? You know? And so um, there's attacks on mental fronts, emotional fronts financial fronts, spiritual fronts, and you're just like overwhelmed with all these things that this, you know, horrible news that you get, right? Um, and so I honestly, although all that was happening, I, I really do believe that I, I really should not complain about anything because there are people who will never get a transplant who don't even have the resources that they live in a, in, in a third world country and they need one and they will never get one. And I was very fortunate to have a donor ready. I never had a good on dialysis. I am extremely fortunate. There's nothing to complain about um, when you look at the big picture. But um, tell that to somebody who's going through all this, you know, like at the time. In hindsight, I wish I, I, wish I would have understood how, how lucky I was. Um, but again, you know, uh, you cannot kind of only see what is being told to you in the moment. Um, but anyway, yeah, so my transplant was probably the most difficult and physically painful thing I ever went through. Um, I just remember waking up in the hospital and uh, after it was finished and I was in so much pain. I just felt like I couldn't even breathe. I couldn't even speak. And I was trying to like tell the doctors pain, pain. I couldn't say it because I was in so much pain. And they're like, give her morphine. Give her this. She's freaking out. She's like, acting like a crazy person. And I'm like, you don't understand how much pain I'm in. You don't know. And so um, that was horrible. And, um, you know, also just understanding that the phobia was still there. It's like, I'm in this, I have an IV in my neck, yo, I have this huge needle in my neck. Tell that to a person who struggles with the phobia they're gonna act like a crazy person okay you know and so i tell people it's like imagine if you're like afraid of spiders go spend the night in a house infested with spiders that is how i felt being in a hospital bed with a neck iv a catheter and my 
freaking stomach hurting like a thousand knives were in it, you know, surrounded by doctors and drugged up with morphine, you know, (laughs) it was insane. I'm telling you, Glenn. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I unfortunately had a lot of issues post transplant that made my, um, made me very depressed and, uh, very scared that I wasn't going to make it a lot of times. Um, you know, that was actually the first time I had suicidal thoughts because I was admitted back to the hospital about five times within six months after my transplant happened. And they were all because of an infection that had the possibility of becoming septic. So every time I'd walk into the ER, they were like, get this girl a bed now. She has this, the, 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 um, risk of becoming septic. And I knew that word septic because um, my ex-boyfriend's mom who passed away had a septic infection. So to me, in my mind, I automatically remembered that. I'm like, this is it. This is how I go, you know. Um, So being in that position, not once, but like five times is like, my luck is going to run out. And um, obviously, you begin to contemplate death so much. And you're just like, uh, it's just very heavy. It was it was very heavy. It was very hard. Um, but you know, after I finally started getting better, finally, after those six months post-transplant, um, I began to really understand and be able to process kind of what things happen. And, and I finally started feeling the benefits of the transplant and, uh, feeling healthy again and how I was supposed to feel. So after that, I was like, good, you know, I, I, I did the right thing. Cause for a while there, I thought I kind of didn't do the right thing. And I, all of this was for naught. Um, but there were so many spiritual lessons I learned. Um, there was a time where I was literally praying. I was crying out to God. I was in so much pain. I was in the bathroom. I was, I was on the bathroom floor just crying of pain. And I was said, I cried out to God and I said, please take this from me. If you are who you say you are, you know, take away this pain. Um, and he didn't, Glenn, he didn't take it away. I literally passed out on the bathroom floor. Wow. And that was a huge bomb to my faith. Um, that was probably the hardest part uh, of the whole thing. Um, and so when I finally kind of revived and my mom got me in bed and everything, um, I, I was praying and I just said, God, why didn't you take it away? You know, I... I asked you, I, you said you would heal me and take away my affliction. That's what your word says. And you didn't. And I was very upset with him. And I told him how I said I was. Yeah. And, um, he actually answered me, um, in my, in my head, as soon as I, as soon as I prayed that prayer, um, a picture of, of Jesus on the cross came into my mind. And I remembered Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and said, please, God, take this cup from me. I am so scared. I don't want to go through this. Please save me from this. But not my will, your will be done. And God spoke to me in that moment. He says, I will not spare you from the things that I have called you to go through for the ultimate glorious purpose I have. And that was like, <laughs> okay, okay, fine. You know, I guess it's up to you, God. You know, if you really have some bizarre purpose.
this for this, then by all means, I guess I have to go through this. This is what you have desired for me to walk through. And I don't know the purpose yet. I don't know why, but I have to trust in you. Um, so that was probably the most vivid thing I can remember um, out of my recovery. Um, and there were a lot of ups and downs since then as well, even in my faith and everything. But ultimately, we came out on top. And now I'm able to share these stories with, with everyone listening. So it's quite, it's quite amazing. <laughs> there is, Zana, so much there in that entire testimony of how even at the beginning, you listened to that still small voice of God when you started to see all these things going on with your friends around you. He was giving you clues. You didn't know fully why you needed to go for a physical, but you just need, knew you needed to go. And you obeyed, and then you went. And then I see you in the hospital with all these things that you're afraid of, him helping you work through fear, and then coming out with the pain. And when I heard you talk about how you asked him to take it away from you, and he didn't, it just resounded in me that no servant is greater than his master. Absolutely. And and all of these things, I'm just sitting here and I'm listening to this, because I can relate. I don't want to get into it too much. I'm a brain tumor survivor, and I know what oh, it wow. is to go through pain, and I know what it is to heal slowly and to think that you're going to die or wind up a vegetable. It was one of the things that I thought was going to happen to me. And how God uses that, we really don't even know the full purpose of that yet. Uh, maybe a later time. And I really hope that there's a listener out there that may be going through something similar right now that hears your story because it is, it's just got God written all over it. And, you know, Zana, it's not by accident that we're doing this interview. Well, it was about a year ago when I saw on Instagram, because I've been following you for quite some time, you going through the kidney transplant. I was like, you know, that's somebody that we really need to talk to on the podcast, somebody that I'd like to talk to and, and to feature because there's something really going on there. And then it was just by, I wouldn't say by chance, but by divine providence that we met and were able to set this up. And it was through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ashley Warhol, that helped help set this yeah. up. Yes. And, you know, hearing her faith just blows me away in a lot of ways. And just hearing you talk, I'm just sitting here. I'm going to go back and I'm just going to sit on this because I can relate to what you went through because a lot of the same things I went through and God is just all over it. And I just want to say that I don't think you've seen the full purpose of what God has called you to do yet because you've been through so much. There's a lot more that he has left for you to do because you're here, you're healthy right now, and you're proceeding with your career and doing things. And that excites me. God has a lot in store for you to do. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, that's my hope. I'm, you know, I, I, you know, even just talking with people today, I was just like, you know what? I have all these things and things I'm worried about and how COVID has messed up so much of my plans and everything I wanted to do. And, you know, it's just like, why would God abandon you? Why would he take you this far just to leave you here? You know, so that that's a thought that really comforts me um, in times where I feel just like, this is out of control. Like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm spending so much of my life, my own money, my time of uh, sacrificing milestones just so I can do this career that I feel that God has called me to. Um, to, sh- to share his word in an authentic and meaningful way. And for what, you know, and I just have to keep the faith that, you know, 
if you feel like you're stuck in life, it's not the end. There's, there's stuff at work. There's stuff that God is doing at work that you don't see in this time when you feel like nothing is happening. And that's something I've definitely learned in my life that things are happening, uh, whether you realize it or not. So just be patient and and know and wait, wait on him. Just, it's going to happen. So going back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago with how God leads us step by step and we don't see everything all at once, that feeling of abandonment, this is something to consider and something that I'm going to chew on a little bit. When he brings us to that place of where we feel like we're being abandoned, he really hasn't abandoned us. He's just brought us to that place for that time to pick us up again, to move us to the next place. Absolutely. Think about that for a minute. That's, that's, that's deep. We, we really don't understand. We, what we understand to God is so fractional and so infinitesimal <laughs> to, to the vastness of his glory and his grace. And really, you are truly a person that is living by his grace day by day right now. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Wow. <laughs> I am so excited to have you on with us. This is what the Get Real podcast is about. Yeah, uh, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you also teach people how to sing. You're a vocal coach. I am. Yes, that's actually something I just started. Uh, actually, quarantine kind of pushed me to do it again because I had a lot in store for, for touring and everything, and, and it got all shut down. Um, and so I just woke up one day and um, – I was like, it's time, you know, like it's time to believe in yourself. It's time to show people that you can do stuff. And that is something I'm really grateful for, for, for COVID because uh, I was forced to stop everything I was doing. Uh, Same with my husband, Patrick, he, you know, we were forced to stop and pause our busyness and be like, what are we even doing? You know, we are trying so hard and working so hard that we're not working smarter. Um, You know, we had, we had time to finally evaluate what is working for us. And, you know, now is the time to take risks because, you know, not only do we need to financially, but also like, we don't have anything else going on, you know, Uh, COVID shut everything down. So there's no, no, there's nothing to do. Um, so yeah, I am, I'm super grateful for that. And, uh, I absolutely love it. I, I had no idea how much I would love it. And I love my students so much. All of them have such a beautiful, um, beautiful person inside of them. And, and they have so many hopes and dreams. And I remember being just like them at that point, you know, in my musical journey, just wanting, just being so optimistic and wanting to soak up every ounce of knowledge, um, and, and use it. And, I wanted so badly for someone to believe in me, you know, and to tell me that I could, um, because there's really cutthroat people in music and sometimes people aren't very nice and they don't give, you know, people chances and they don't help people. And I, I told God, I said, if you ever give me success in this career, I will do everything I can to help other people and to share your glory. And so it's been amazing because I've been getting these students who literally just have the right heart. They have the right intentions. They want to do this for God. They are, um, you know, or they just, they just want to learn. And so I would kill for that kind of mentorship when I was in their position. I would absolutely kill for that. Uh, so it's so cool to be able to provide that to people, you know, um, if, you know, to, at least to the most that I can. And hope that they will grow and, and have someone in their life that is encouraging and gives them positive, uh, constructive criticism and that really believes in their vision. 
How can somebody, if they want to take vocal lessons from you, get in touch with you to do that? Is that something that somebody maybe in Alaska could do, or do they have to be right there yeah. in Texas? How does this all work? Yeah, absolutely. All they have to do is uh, send me an email at zanamusic at gmail.com. That's Z-A-H-N-A music at gmail.com. And uh, really, I just talk to them about um, what I do, what I offer, uh, my rates and everything. And they get to choose the platform, the virtual platform we use. It can be, you know, Facebook Messenger, uh, Skype, FaceTime, anything. Um, and yeah, we just take each session and talk about singing and technique. And then we put it to practice the things we learn. Um, and I'm with them every second. And as long as I can see their face and hear them sing, I can 99% of the time tell them what they're doing wrong. Uh, so absolutely, they can contact me that way. And I can uh, get a slot for them if that's what they're interested in. Is there anybody who just can't sing? They just don't have the wherewithal to do it? Or can, is singing something that everybody can learn to do? Um, honestly, I really just think that if some people may have a harder time uh, singing just because they haven't had as much um, ear training. Uh, you know, something that we did in school was called interval training. And we were uh, taught, you know, okay, how many uh, steps or spaces between this note and this note, what kind of interval is that, you know, and I noticed that, uh, you know, cause I used to ask the same thing. I was like, is there people that like I make encounter that like literally just can't sing? Um, I don't really believe that because, uh, my mom, she actually used to have a really hard time hearing tones, but when she started, um, learning how to play the piano, which is a little different than singing, cause you can actually see what your fingers are doing and what keys they're hitting. Um, when she started learning piano, her, tone improved incredibly um she was able to sing in key way more because she trained her ear uh to hear the notes through repetition better um so again singing is kind of like that you know it's also muscle training it's not just ear training it's muscle training um and there are things that i teach that you can physically feel and you can physically you know for example breathing correctly you can know you're breathing correctly if your back expands more than you know your stomach um stuff like that you know so i i do believe that everybody can actually sing um they some may need just more um, repetitive training maybe audibly to actually hear notes um and be able to sing them uh than others and some people have already kind of a more natural talent maybe because they were raised with a lot of music and they heard music a lot as a child and they can pick notes out easier um but i really believe everybody can i, I do think everyone can sing so for our listeners that means there is hope for me <laughs> I, I, absolutely, I think it is i really do <laughs> Let's talk about your first album, Red for War, that came out in 2018. Awesome album, great tracks on there. What was the inspiration for that album and what is the core concept of it? Yeah, so um, that's a, a whole story too. I may have to start at the beginning. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Um, so really the whole concept of Red happened because um, in my previous band, we had this management that was always taking shots at us and was like, you guys aren't good enough. You got to change everything about yourself. And we're just like, okay. Um, and they were like, Susie, you need to dye your hair some crazy color. And, 
you need to be so much better than you are. And so when my band kind of fell apart because of that, like awful management we had, um, you know, I kind of used the color red because I was forced to just pick a color and dye my hair in that band, you know, because I was told to. Um, I kind of used it as a mocking thing because I was like, you know what, I will use the color red. I will you know, prove to you that I can be successful. Um, and so I read, you know, with, with the new name and everything, red kind of became this color that just embodied everything I was going through and feeling at that time um, with the disbandment of my last man and all the, the forces that caused that to happen. I was very, very angry. I was um, very, uh, just really enraged a lot, just because there was so much psychological manipulation happening, um, you know, between me and the members and, and everything that went down. Um, red became kind of symbolic for that. But also red became symbolic um, for passion and for love. Um, I think uh, that being directed towards my love of music and how, you know, despite such a negative experience the first time around being in a band and being in a music industry, nothing was going to stop me. You know, I was still going to be victorious. I was still going to wage war for the things that I knew were my calling. Um, and so Red for War was really just a declaration that like, I am never going to stop. If you don't believe in me, I'm going to prove you wrong. And at that time, I was also diagnosed with my disease. So it was kind of this waging war on my disease. And I was like, this isn't going to beat me. I am going to do everything I say I'm going to do. Um, God is going to be my defender. He's going to get me through this. And Red for War is just every song is about every chapter I went through in that phase. Um, there are very angry songs on there. There are very hopeful songs. There are serene songs. There's sad songs. There's every range of emotion I felt is in that record from that time. What is your favorite song from that album? Which one resounds the most with you? Or does that change? I think it does change. Um, musically, though, I really like track number nine, which is Was I Bad? I think that song has a really rocking chorus. Um, and I think that's, that song is really about um, all the, the, the aftermath of going through all that psychological manipulation and just feeling weird guilt that like, I'm horrible. I'm not good at this. I, you know, it's called Was I Bad? Because it's like, what did I do wrong? How did I affect this in my life? And just feeling this overwhelming anxiety that you're never going to be good enough because of these things that people told you, you know? Um, and I, I struggled with that even after Zana was launched and everything. I remember my first tour, I was filled with so much anxiety because I was like, what are people saying about me? People are making fun of me. I, I'm not good at this. You know, a lot of self-confidence issues I had because I came out of such a toxic you know, management deal thing. And I uh, really affected who I was. And that's something I really work with my students too, because I've been through that. There's so many mental barriers that um, we create in ourselves because of the words people have said to us. Um, and finally, I was able to break through from that. Uh, it took a year, probably a good year or two years probably um, to get through that. So uh, Was I Bad really still kind of resonates with me because it's so easy to be judged when you're a, a public figure or, you know, when you're an artist and um, people have no filters. They don't care. They think you're just, you're not really real and they'll say the meanest things, um, you know, and I, I barely experience it. I can't imagine what 
really big artist experience on the daily. It's, it's just horrible. Um, so was I bad is really a song that resonates with me a lot, um, that I was feeling at that time. Yeah. Track number nine. Track number nine. We're going to take a quick break before Zana and I have a very important announcement to make because I know that we promised all of our listeners out there in TV and, and podcast land that we have an announcement. Let's take a listen to Was I Bad? And we will be back momentarily.
So as we promised all of our viewers out there in YouTube TV land and in podcast world, Zana and I have a very important announcement to make. Zana, where are you going to be on May 15th, 2021? Well, everybody, I'm going to be in Charleston, South Carolina, playing Get Revelation Rockfest. All right. Yes, Zana is going to be one of our acts that we're going to have at Rockfest this year. It is going to be on May 15th, 2021. Those of you who have been following us know that we were supposed to have Revelation Rockfest 2020, but due to COVID, that did not happen. But God has opened up doors for us to have something even bigger and better. And I am so excited, even after talking to Zana today, about having her as a part of Rockfest 2021. And Zana, there's another band coming with you from Texas to be a part of Rockfest 2021. Who is that that's coming with you? That's going to be my good friends in Warhol from Houston, Texas. So I'm super excited about playing alongside with them. It's going to be awesome to have them. And we also have Charleston's own Ziggy, uh, my good friend and good friend of the podcast. He is going to be performing there as well. It's going to be Ziggy. We're going to have the last trumpet from North Carolina. Armor of God from Orlando, Florida, and the headline band. Are y'all ready for this? Zana, I'm going to let you announce who the headline band is. Can you announce that for us, please? All right, all right. It's going to be, drum roll, The Letter Black. The Letter Black. Yes, Mark and Sarah Anthony are coming and headlining Rockfest 2021. It is going to be at the Hanahan Amphitheater in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, it's actually in Hanahan, but it's right next to Charleston. Well, those of you that live in the area know, and you can look it up. It's an outdoor venue, so I can guarantee you this, that it will be COVID safe. COVID safe. Yes, it's going to be outside. (laughs) We got a lot of bands. It's going to be a full day of music. You can find out more information about Rockfest 2021 on our website at lithoscry.com. That's L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y.com. Or you can check it out on our Facebook page. And there's only one Lithos Cry. So more details coming soon. And you know, Zana, we are actually looking at several other bands that might be performing. And even though my co-host is not with us today, Dan, he is going to be one of the opening acts as well. And we're trying to figure out a name for his act. So I'm going to throw two out there to you and you can take a vote and we'll we'll put it into consideration. So the first possibility for a name for Dan's act is Dad Bod Folk Punk. Dad Bod Folk Punk. Second possibility is Dr. Dan and the Psychedelic Trilobites. Zana, which one do you like best? So the dad bod one actually sounds like the name of a genre to me. (laughs) So I'm going to go with the second one because that actually sounds like an act. Dr. Dan and the psychedelic trilobites. I like it. (laughs) I like it. That's what I like. (laughs) (laughs) So we are excited to announce we wanted to hold off to make this a Rocktober announcement. Zana is coming to Charleston, South Carolina. The Letter Black is coming to Charleston, South Carolina. Warhol is coming. Armor of God is coming. Ziggy, he's right here and he is going to be there and he's going to be bringing it and rocking it. It's going to be a great day of music. And Zana, this is what I'm excited about. There has never been in Charleston, South Carolina, a Christian music fest like this, never. Really? And we're very, very excited about it. 
stay tuned because we're going to announce over the next few months hopefully a few more acts that will be added to it as well but we're very excited about it zana we are also going to make you because this is the month of october we've got to make this spectacular we are going to make you our featured artist of the month for october or should i say rocktober and yeah. we're going to put uh, information about you up on our website at lithoscry.com and Zana, where can people go to find out more about you, get your music and support you, and even, again, announce your vocal lessons for us? Yeah, absolutely, guys. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And my username is Zana Official. That's Z-A-H-N-A Official. And you can also go to my website, uh, ZanaOfficial.com. Uh, to check out uh, some merch packages I have. You can hear some of the songs for free on my website, check out my upcoming tour dates and uh, news and stuff that I've been releasing. Uh, and so, yeah, check that out. Or you can always email me at zanamusic at gmail.com uh, to go ahead and sign up for lessons as well. Or you can use the contact form on my website to uh, email me about lessons or uh, art or business consultation um, as well that I offer as well. So check it out, guys. You piqued my interest before we go, because I'm in charge of the time here. Nobody's telling me that I got to get off the air like it used to be in the radio days. We, we can still stay on. You piqued my interest. You said that you have another album that's in the works. Do you have an idea of when we can expect that? You know what? I It's really tricky because I am doing my best to kind of navigate around COVID. Uh, every day I'm back and forth on deciding how I want to release this or, you know, in what manner or like singles first or what. Um, so I am I'm about to go up to Nashville again and talk to a few people and kind of get a better plan down before I announce anything. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it won't be till 2021 unless maybe I decide to release like one song before then. But um, I'm definitely doing a lot of work behind the scenes to get that out to everybody as soon as possible. That is awesome. Make sure you follow Zana so you can find out about the release of her new up and coming album that is TBD and to be named as well. People, thank you for joining us for our first week of Rocktober edition of the Get Real Podcast. Zana, thank you so much. What you had to say today really blessed me. And for our listeners, if you want to reach out to Dan and I, you can do so at lithoscry, L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y at gmail.com. And don't forget to check us out at lithoscry.com. Peace out and rock on, people. lithoscry.com.